0: grace, mercy, and peace from our creator, our savior, and our sustainer to you this morning and now and always. So this might be a shock to some of you, but I don't spend a whole lot of time on TikTok. (laughs) Yet when you have children in their 20s, sometimes you have to meet them where they are, right? You have to dance where they party is... Is that a thing? I don't know if that's a thing or not. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is, as Missy often, my wife often, tells me, sometimes you have to enter their world to see yourself, for yourself, what they experience. Anyway, there are posts from this certain TikTok guy that my children will occasionally send me to give me a chuckle. This particular TikTok video was not sent by my children, but I recognized him from some of the other videos that they had sent, so I began to watch it. And he was role-playing, talking with God about the first commandment. Of course, he was playing both roles, God and himself, asking these questions. And he asked God a question, and he says, Thou shalt not have no other gods before me, he says, That feels kind of insanely narcissistic and insecure for an omnipotent being. And what is it? How is it that you have that as the number one rule of all the rules? You don't have do not murder until number six. It's good that you have it down there, but number six? And he goes on sarcastically drilling God in the conversation of the post And as I sat there watching, I thought, if this guy was raised in the church, which I'm not sure he was, but if he was, I know it definitely wasn't a Lutheran church because if he did, if it was a Lutheran church, he would have known that the first commandment means to honor, love, and trust God above all things. God is not narcissistic or insecure. God is simply reminding Moses and the Israelites that God is the first one to begin the relationship. God says, I am the Lord your God who already brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God knows how fickle we humans are, how easily we can lose our focus and turn every day everyday objects or people or systems into God's. God is reminding God's people that God first loves them and is the original liberator of us all. These initial words in Exodus verse 2 ground the reception of the Ten Commandments in the Israelites' history as enslaved people who receive these commandments from God who liberates them. God liberates God's people from slavery in Egypt, and continues to liberate us from slavery this to this day. As we continue our Lenten journey with the theme, "The Seed of Joy," from Barngeese worship, a group of mostly Lutheran pastors, today we explore liberating joy. Pastor Justin Kozak writes this. Slavery everywhere is joyless, dehumanizing, and bitter. Earlier in Exodus, the conditions of Israel's enslavement in Egypt are described. Out of suspicion, the Egyptian government had instituted policies meant to deal shrewdly with the Israelite people, systematically limiting their flourishing, isolating them along ethnic lines. This led to forced labor and displacement, to state-sponsored labor camps in cities like Python and Ramanese. Then Israelites, when Israelites continued to multiply, systematic state-sponsored oppression became a feature of the entire society. Soon, Egyptians feared Israelites and suborned their nation's economic production into a system created to impose ruthless tasks on the Israelites. Government officials demanded compliance from Hebrew collaborators enlisting the aid of Israelites' own midwives to assist in genocidal policies. Under this system... The Israelites lived in constant fear of judgment. They suffered under the thumb of their taskmasters. When they proved to be successful at anything, whether they were productive in their labor or prodigious in childbirth, the Egyptians redoubled efforts to create conditions for their failure. It was an environment of absolute oppression, where every rule was created to dehumanize them and authorize their abuse. With this painful history in mind, consider what God requires of people of God's people in the 10 commandments. They must worship the God who saved them rather than any false god or earthly power. They must have a weekly rhythm of work Which includes rest. They must honor their parents and other relationships, such as those with their neighbors. They must respect boundaries of ownership, kinship, and love. What God requires in the Ten Commandments is a society where each person works together to respect the type of boundaries their Egyptian overlords ignored remembering their captivity becomes the condition for the Israelites joy flowing from the 10 commandments these boundaries include God's insistence that the new that their new society will prove more just more life-giving more fruitful and more fair to every adult child and animal than anything they had known before and if the Exodus passage shows God's liberatory love and hope that comes from living within God's generous boundaries, the Gospel passage from John 2 shows the joy that comes from breaking oppressive norms, even those that seem godly. Here, Jesus overturns the money changers' tables in the temple. And proclaims that if the temple itself were destroyed, he could rebuild it in three days. And the text itself clues us in on the meaning behind Jesus' words. The temple is Jesus' body. But the religious leaders they, they missed the dramatic irony. They scoff at Jesus, explaining that the temple has been under construction for 46 years. How could anyone rebuild it in three days? the actions of Jesus and the dialogue between Jesus and the folks of the Jewish faith in John chapter 2 is needed to enlighten them to what worship had become in the temple. The temple was understood to be where God dwelled. Certain traditions and customs from way before were added to worship, to worship God such as the need to make sacrifices. Depending on one's sin, one must purchase the correct animal or the correct combination of animals to to absolve one's sin as prescribed by the priest or religious leader. The money changers were established because one had to purchase those animals with the correct type of temple coinage. And the exchange opened the door for more corruption and oppression. These conditions and customs that were established over the ages became stumbling blocks on the path of worshiping God. They distracted folks from honoring, loving, and trusting God over all things. This is why Jesus made the whip of cords and drove out the sheep and the cattle. This is why he overturned the tables. This is why he told those selling the doves to get these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. These were the things that again were oppressing the people of God from worshiping God and finding joy and knowing they are loved. Not because what they do, but because God made them. Sometimes we miss the point of Jesus flipping over the tables, much like this AI created picture when told to create a picture of Jesus flipping over the tables. We miss out on God's liberating joy when we miss the point that Jesus then and now presents. It represents the presence of God among them. Jesus represents the presence of God among them and us. Whether in the temple or the church building or out in public. Don't miss the point that the Holy Spirit lives within you. We are also the body of Christ. I'm reminded of a time in my first call when the students of the intermediate school would visit the church that I served. One of the teachers created this tour of our small town in Middlebury called the Seven Wonders of Middlebury. Now, I forget most of what those wonders were, but I do know that it ended up with a trip to the Essen Essenhaus famous bakery for a wondrous fresh baked donut. But right before that, St. Paul's Lutheran Church was second to last on this, on this tour. And it was on this t- tour because we had this hand-carved setting of the Last Supper that was suspended over the altar. Only two such carvings exist in the world. I would remove a couple of those carved pieces because they could... Come out and set them on the ground, and the students would get a, a closer look. And I would tell the, the children about the artist and how St. Paul's was home to one of those sets. And one year, I remember asking the students, What do you think is the most holy thing in the church? And they would point to objects, and I would hear answers like, The cross, or the church itself, or the altar. Or the Bible. And each time I would say, good answer. But think again. Finally, I would tell them, there is something more holy than any of those things that you described. And I would point to them and say, you. You are the most holy thing in this church. Because God loves you because you are the only thing in this church made in the image of God. You hold in your lungs the very same breath that God breathed into Adam and Eve. You are the reason God became human and came down to earth to walk among us, to heal, to teach. You are the most holy thing in this church. And that means, so is the person next to you. by driving out the animals of the temple and pouring out the coins of the money changers and overturning their tables, Jesus is bringing about liberating joy by by eliminating the human established intermediary between God's people and God. I mean, I I cannot stress enough the importance of the temple to the people of ancient Israel. It It represents God's presence among them. It was there that they could freely worship God by their own rules and their own language, mostly free from any outside imperial control that occupied their land, which made them feel closer to God. Yet Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us is here in this place as well. Even before we begin each service with welcoming each other in the peace of God God is present. And it's not just in this building, right? It's not the building that makes us the church. It's not even our liturgy that comes that makes us a church. It's God's love given and God's promises kept, shown through the life and death and resurrection and ascension of God that makes us the beloved children of God and therefore makes us the church. This is the liberating joy God is offering. It is important that we have a place together, to gather, to share our lives with one another, to share our hopes and dreams and failures and sorrows. It's good to have a place to connect to the priesthood of all believers, past, present, and future, through the gift of our liturgy, a space to gather, hear scripture, participate in the life-giving meal and pray before being sent out into the world that desperately needs this joy, the joy of God's love. Yet, that joy is never defined by any one location. And I suspect that Jesus encounters something like this when he confronts the money changers in the temple in John 2. In this moment, Jesus shows us the glee of destroying the customary accommodations that have burdened us with history, stifled our worship, and masked our mission. How the people must thrill to see Jesus overturn greed in God's house. How must they marvel to realize that they are not required to meet such expectations to worship God. How many powerful people Jesus must cross when he demanded a different road because we heard from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth for Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom but we proclaim Jesus Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Those in the temple may have come to believe that their joy is inseparable from the places where they fostered it. But Jesus wants to unbind their joy from these limited expectations. How thrilling, how thrillingly dangerous it is to smash what binds us. How quickly could we rebuild for the future if we only followed the God who can reconstruct and resurrect the dead? This is the liberating joy through which we are invited to live our lives and worship God. This this is the lens we are gifted to view our future as we live into God's love and promise as our Savior Lutheran Church and Purdue Lutheran Ministries, together. And for that I say thanks be to God. Amen.